Hi, this is Tim Krolski. Most people might think they know what goes on in the life of a truck driver, but we thought it was time to understand the person that operates the truck, to find what actually drives them, and what really goes on before and after the brakes get set. Welcome to Garner Trucking's Beyond the Cab. Hello, and welcome to Beyond the Cab. I'm your host, Tim Krolski, with Garner Trucking. And today I have a very special guest. Brian Wildman is with us. Uh, Brian's been with Garner Trucking now since April of 2017. Uh, currently resides in North Olmsted, Ohio, but that's not where the story begins, is it? No, no. It's good to be with you here, Tim. I actually hail from back east. Uh, Washington, D.C. is where I was born. Our country's capital. Yes. Raised in northern Virginia. Um, Manassas, Battle of Bull Run. One and two. No kidding. Yeah, four miles away from where I grew up. Okay. And how long were you there? Really was there until I went to college. Okay. So, and where was college at? Uh, college was down in Texas, uh, Abilene Christian. You moved from one side of the country to the other for college, huh? I did. I nice. did. Nice. Spent how long down in Texas then? Got, uh, well, it was probably, I did the six-year plan in college, so... It's a good plan, that. really. Yeah, it was just it was just felt good, so I guess mm-hmm. kept you, going. you just you just stayed. <laughs> just just stayed. You know, I got a I got a BA in English, and I was like, okay, what I'm going to do with that? I right. could uh, you know use that as a as a, a jumping off point. And I went back and did uh, coursework, got the equivalency of a bachelor's of a business administration, and then went on and got my master's in finance and marketing. Outstanding, outstanding. You're very well rounded as far as the education is concerned. So after graduating in Texas, what uh, what was your next step? Well, I went into banking. I actually w- went into not the commercial lending area, but the what we call the trust department of a bank. And at that time, the trust departments had what they called commingled funds, which were uh, akin to mutual funds. And mm-hmm. An opportunity uh, came to go to San Diego and uh, get out from underneath uh, the... Uh, kind of the university there and sure. uh, so I kind of jumped on that opportunity and went to San Diego and my wife and I at the time uh, had uh, went out there I took a job and then eventually I was still doing administration for banks uh, and it was funny because I when I had left Texas the oil patch had just crashed and the and uh, a lot of folks owed a lot of money. Sure. And I think everybody kind of remembers, or at least a lot of people remember that time. And uh, so when I went to California, California would say, well, we have a service economy out here. Mm-hmm. That won't happen to us. And so, well, it didn't take long. And then the real estate uh, came and uh, what do they call it, Black Friday, I think? Yeah. Or was it Black Monday? What? It was anyway, black, regardless. It was black, yeah. but anyway, that uh, 508 point decline. I think it was almost a thousand point drop. It was 800 and some drop that day. Right. And I m- remember working in the trust department there, and a lot of my accounts were self-directed, be it engineers, be doctors that had their own retirement programs, and they did their own investments, and what we called self-directed. And so they would call, and they were calling us telling us what uh, they wanted done, and they were doing the absolute wrong thing, which was to sell into that 
precipitous drop. Okay. At the same time, right across the hallway where I was, our investment people were buying. Buying, sure, because, exactly. And that's really the, because that's what, what I saw and what we kind of learned is that the individual investor has kind of come a long way since then. But uh, it was pretty frightening at that time. We've kind of been through a lot well, since you didn't then. Really, I mean, you didn't have the internet and all these different pieces. Right, where, exactly. You know, people were very comfortable. That, I mean, a normal conversation uh, over the weekend with friends is going to include, you know, something regarding investments because it's also accessible and also much easier right. to do. So that was a different world. Uh, yeah. At, at, uh, and Literally. So it, yeah, I mean, it really was. You're also, we're also talking about California and, and uh, you know, the other side of the country where things are generally a little different but the weather's gorgeous it it was it was great (laughs) i mean i I remember uh, i like golf Mm -hmm. and we lived just uh probably a few miles from torrey pines okay and i remember being you could you could get on and join a a a foursome or threesome they would put uh and you could get on the golf course on saturday mornings if you played it just right and you play nine holes on the north course and so I did that a few times, took advantage of that. And, of course, that was a public course at the time, and it wasn't cost prohibitive. And mm-hmm. kind of seems like a different time. And Sounds to me like they assembled your teams, though, your foursomes. They, they would. They, they so would. did you meet anyone interesting uh, you know, through that yes, process? Yes, I, I actually I did. i got to believe that would be the case. Some, sometimes you'd, you'd play with, uh, I remember, one was uh, Actuary to the Stars. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, he was actually, he had a lot of Hollywood clients that had uh, – him as their actuary for their, I guess they had retirement plans too. Sure, but, sure. Uh, but everybody anyway. needs them. Yes, and then <laughs> there was a tailor, so it, it goes on and on. But that, that was it was interesting times. It was beautiful. There was a, I mean, the beach was there in the afternoons, in the morning. Some people, I never did this, but some people actually at certain times you could go up and ski, okay. uh, in the mornings and then come and be on the beach. And I know I've been out to Vegas a few times, even in uh, exactly, June, and, right. and you can look out on the mountaintops and see the <laughs> there's snow on the on the top of the mountain, but there you are, at, you know, by, by the afternoon, it's, you know, 108 degrees <laughs> in, 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 in the valley, I guess. And I thought it was so. the most, you know, just one of the most beautiful places in the world, and then I find out that a lot of people that lived out there wanted to either live in Hawaii or Oregon. They were looking to get out of California, some of them, and, and move. Now, how long were you out there? How long were you in California? Was there from, let's see, moved in 87 to 90. So about four years. Okay. And then from there you went to? Uh, Went back to Texas. Okay. uh, Took a job back in Texas. Back, uh, It had recovered somewhat from the the precipitous drop there with the oil patch and was doing much better. And that was about the time that California had – was going what was going down as so far as their economy so <laughs> that was that worked out yeah. and uh it was a good opportunity went back you know if i look back on it tim and think really think about it i was in an industry that was very very tumultuous uh, i was in banking i was in insurance and financial services and during about a 15 year period of time there's about 1.1 million people that lost their jobs in that industry yeah. And I would be two years with one institution, and then they would be acquired. Mm-hmm. I always thought I should be in the the signage business. I think that would have been the better business to be yeah. in. They always changing signs yeah, <laughs> for absolutely. the banks and everything. Absolutely. But so that al- allowed me to 
get into the business development side of things a little okay. bit more, and I enjoyed that and had some success with that. The only thing was I would have good numbers, and I would always be the acquired bank, uh, and so we kind of did that. Did not to go poor me, but that was kind of That's the way, the that was the, the reality of yeah, how it went. So after, uh, after a time, I uh, went through, I moved to Oklahoma, was in Oklahoma, uh, for for time worked with uh, Barry Tornado Switzer. Alley, huh? Yes, wow. yes, uh, yeah. Interestingly enough, there were a few large tornadoes. More Oklahoma had, I think, two. One after I left, the one had occurred there. I think that probably the the biggest thing that happened was the Oklahoma City bombing happened, and I oh, was while you were there. I was two blocks south of that. Cool. And how was uh, how was that experience being there and and. I mean, you're, you're talking about a, a national tragedy. The only one I can think of that might be larger was the towers um, in 2001. Right. And um, so from, from that perspective, being that close, uh, what was that climate like? What, what were things like at that time? Well, it was a beautiful morning. I just remembered that. I remember I was running a little late to work that morning, and I'd parked a place where I normally didn't park, and it was uh, south and east of the building. So I had to cross... Uh, and I remember crossing the street uh, in the half shadows, uh, and a late model car was flying down the road, right, going south. Mm-hmm. Uh, nearly, nearly ran me over, and I uh, thought, well, that's strange, you know. Went on into the building, it went up into the tenth floor where our trust department was, and it opened the the uh, escalator, or I'm sorry, the elevator door, and right at that time that's when the bomb went off, and I just stepped out, and it shook our building so badly that it knocked me to my my knees, the the building went, swayed, but uh, then we saw papers, just papers flying in the air, just raining papers, and it seemed like for, for five or ten minutes, just that, and noticed that the microwave tower was kind of askew, and the church steeple was now tilted, and mm-hmm. we didn't know what had gone on. I actually called um, my wife, and I called my parents. I made I got both of those calls out pretty <laughs> quickly. I didn't know. I had gone on. We had, you know, everybody's heard of Michael Bloomberg, mm-hmm. um, but we had uh, the investment part of our trust department had uh, Bloomberg News, and Bloomberg was the financial data news organization so every trust department investment department had a bloomberg machine and i actually went on i thought if anybody knew what was going on in the world it would be coming through bloomberg they didn't know Um, it wasn't soon after that we thought you know with natural gas being so abundant there in oklahoma city we didn't know if the plane had gone down it could have been been a natural gas infrastructure and well of course here again you don't have those same those same technologies that we had even in 2001 where, you know, that, that replay was on all right. the time. I mean, that you had, you have so much, um, it was almost news overload, you know, right. in, in those types of situations. And we still weren't quite there at that time, you know. And a public address didn't, uh, came on the, in our building. Hardly, hardly, that hardly ever happens. And a voice broke over uh, the loudspeaker and said, uh, there's been a bomb that is a device that has gone off downtown we think there might be a second device and please 
go leave downtown, get to your cars, get, get to your, your transportation and, and leave downtown. And kind of fast forward all of this, you know, it, I mean, it was just, I came back, I believe it was the next day, and they had taped off a lot of things. We, the building I had been in two weeks earlier with the Social Security Administration, of course, was in that part of the building. So the person that helped us and uh, a couple of other people we actually met and, and were, had passed, unfortunately, in the credit union. I went to work later for in the credit union movement. That um, you know, A lot of that is just, of course, documented history now. Yeah, but yeah. How long before you felt like things returned to, you know, there's always a new normalcy. norm after, after, after an event like that? What, what was that time frame? You know, that uh, they had, I don't know if uh, it, when something like that happens, it's like 9-11, you know, it just, you know, no one will forget where they were if exactly they were dead, right. and you'll never forget, and it's just like that, serious. as far as getting beyond that, um, it took, it took years, actually, I uh, and I, I wasn't at ground zero, like I said, it was two blocks south. Still but, close enough. But the next day, going and seeing just the strange, the the weirdness of of na- nature and what happens with you know things like seeing bricks that are now at forty five degree angles, yeah. and uh, you know things uh, like when a tornado happens, a straw goes through a telephone pole. I mean, just just right, bizarre the things. Just it. the physics of it, yeah. but. The human tragedy was the the key. You know, 168 people perished, yep. and uh, of course, all the affected families and friends. So I have not been back to Oklahoma City since that happened. Is that right? Um, but I'd like to go back at, in one day. So from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City, I went back to um, uh, went back to Virginia, actually, where I grew okay. up. Kind of uh, back to my roots, hometown. Yes, and got. Um, got situated in the credit union movement. I was actually came across an opportunity that really worked out great. It was a company that provided the large, it's the largest provider of credit union, financial services to credit unions worldwide. And uh, they were needing specialists, business development people that were uh, versed in 401k. And all Just so happens to be your gig, that, right? That was, there were 16 of us nationally. Okay. We covered, uh, all 50 states and so now did you stay after you were finished with with the banking in general did you stay in that Virginia marketplace or that's where it all gets hazy Tim <laughs> <laughs> fair, enough. fair enough it gets really hazy after that so I, where are we at we're <laughs> late 90s uh yes so we were at uh, let's see right the late 90s exactly so um, after the credit union movement uh did did a, a few things the little gigs here and there so, you know and uh, had an opportunity then to uh, go to or come to Cleveland, uh, and uh, what I was going to actually do was I was hired to put together a, it was a basically a, a valuation model for pension plans. In other words, for a person that has a pension plan, I'm doing a lot of peas. I hope I'm not popping for peas <laughs> here, but helping a person know what they've got for retirement in a uh, defined benefit fund pension plan, which is always fairly nebulous and hard to understand. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of was help help bring that forward and make that understandable to to people. 
the only problem with that is the dot-com bubble burst 58 days after I took that job. Okay. And so that whole assignment went away. All right. All the funding went away, everything. So now I'm in Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> my 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 gig is over, and it's like, you know, what did you always want to do? Well, I always wanted to play music professionally. What I'll, do you play? I play bass. That okay. That's primarily my – I play other instruments, but you that's – You are a rare breed, too. <laughs> always hard to find a bass player. Bass players, you know, I don't know. Everybody wants to be the guitar player. Yep. Right? Yep. Bass, they say, you know, what do you call a, a gal on the on the arm of a guitarist? And I guess that? nowadays it would be just the opposite. You, you call it tattoo. <laughs> oh, wow. I know. It's it's just bad. But, uh, yeah, bass players are the brunt of the yep. jokes. I, I, <laughs> I think uh, the rarest of, of uh, any musician for, you know, a rock band or anything like that, always the hardest person to find is, is that good quality bass player. Right. And, and I – Grew up playing bass. I saw the Caldwell Brothers was up with people. I'm dating myself here, but this was at DAR Constitution Hall in Washington, D.C. Back, uh, I think it was 1965 or 66. That's a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, but that changed me. I really enjoyed Ralph Caldwell was the upright bass. And at that time, it was kind of the toward the end of the folk era, mm -hmm. folk music yep. era. And so you had a kind of a Kingston trio type thing there and that really drew, drew me to the upright bass played it all through public school okay since fifth grade and uh, so did you always play them through adulthood or did you stop for actually I did uh, back you know rewinding back to college I took two USO tours uh, the first one went to Korea Japan the Philippines Guam Marshall wow. Islands Truck Island just just a just a phenomenal and there was four guys four gals and we just were sponsored uh, to entertain. Okay, all and right. We, I did that later. I, I did that two years later in Guantanamo Bay and that that region Where you area. Been able to get yes, in. yes, yes. So that uh, that was that was that. But that it did open up and took me places through music that I never would have been able to do. Had yeah. a fantastic uh, professor of music there at the college that had. Uh, Put all these USO. In fact, he went on the he went on the national board with Pearl Bailey and Bob Hope. Wow! Uh, was uh, he said that you know the security for Bob Hope is a national treasure. So yeah, well, I would was, imagine yeah, so. So, but he, so you can't get much safer. No. I would think during more time. <laughs> he was very very safe. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> we were. Hmm. So we're in Cleveland now. We're in Cleveland. We're playing bass. We're playing bass. Okay. We're we're we one of the first things I did was go out and hear some live music. Found a guy that had been playing making music since '89. I had a blues band there, okay. and kind of just one thing led to another, and started networking and started working, and got got gig, started doing gig income, and then was doing other things like tuning uh, pianos uh, interestingly okay. enough i learned to do that i apprenticed and special skill that's a special right, skill to have right. like, so i, I was know, doing that those individuals are rare as well you know it's as rare as a bass player maybe even <laughs> a little more rare because you know you, there, there's not many that know how to do that that's right and and so um you know there was that's kind of like i don't know like cameo making it seems to be a, a kind of a dying art yeah. i mean there's yeah. always there'll be always the steinway tech you know, with concert hall and that at that level, mm -hmm. but uh, the ones that are doing it, other than maybe for the churches, it's you know not that many people will have 
pianos anymore. Yeah, it's, yeah. But um, it's still enough. It's it's there. But uh, playing out, uh, teaching music, then okay. I was the other th- part of the third stool there of just being able to. Uh, this is how you make money as a yes. musician, right? So this is how you make it happen. Right. So that that <coughs> was it. And and I said, you know, I've got the space downstairs. I had talked to a friend. Uh, he had the right. Uh, technology and uh, pieces, parts to help me build a little project studio downstairs. Okay. So we did that, had a had a control room, had the recording room. I actually have a neighbor who has the same same sort of setup. Did that over, you know, a little bit of time and uh, he's got a band together and um, they, they play pretty regularly but uh, um, he, he decided it all started with, with a with a sound booth and a, right. a separate um, local room, right, and then uh, kind of a main stage and everything. Did all this right in his basement. It was just t- so amazing to me that he they put this in his basement. You know, so well, it, it uh, you know got the what do they call the she shacks now, and mm-hmm. there used to be the the, uh, the guys had the man cave, man cave, right. So now the third the third option was was to have <laughs> space there. So the the wife was very long suffering. Yeah. Uh, to you know. Basically, because as much as you can try to soundproof it, uh, it's still it coming through. It's still coming. I know through. my wife's a saint too. I I play drums. There you go. And okay. um, yeah. we've you know usually practices at the drummer's house, right? Right. So, um, everybody's coming over to my house, and and uh, once you're all plugged in, and go to some guitars and singing, and you know as as much amplification as you can sustain in the basement. <laughs> and uh, you know my wife, like I said, she's a saint because she she deals with that. Um, on a very regular basis. In fact, um, just you know, in the world of Garner here, um, I have uh, uh, Ed. He's our, our our salesman. He's um, he's got a son who's works works for a um, soundproofing business, okay. and they make panels. Uh, they're very thin, compressed panels um, that you can you, know, you can put them on a wall, you can put them on a ceiling. And so I'm going through the process right now of actually I'm going to burlap those things up and and uh, put them on our ceiling and help my wife a little bit <laughs> by trying to deaden a little bit of that's, that sound. That's, that's so. very thoughtful. Yeah, and yeah. It, everybody will be. It sounds like hopefully appreciative and yes. it'll absorb some sound, make things sound sure. better. Sure. So how how long in in that world of music and recording before you get to? Because I'm assuming the next step's got to be trucking. It is. It is. Uh, 2011 is when I built the studio. We, okay. We, uh, we built it, uh, and uh, my dad was in there hammering with me and putting things up. It was a really a labor of love. But, but that 2011, uh, got it up and running, did voiceover, some voiceover work, some commercial work. Had, had that's it, where the money's at. Yeah, that's where the money's at. Yep. Uh, tough market to, to crack. Sure. You know, people uh, like Especially in Cleveland, you're not, you're not, right. I mean, it's a larger city and obviously the, you know, the home of, of rock and roll music and uh, I have a lot of pride for Cleveland because I'm originally from that area. Okay. So, um, you know, I, there's some passion there. You could say what you want, mistake on the lake, all those types of things, but uh, the fact remains is that's where rock and roll was coined and, and that to me is just awesome. That's right. So, yeah, doing it there is a, is a good thing, but you're also talking about a time frame now when you get out of the 90s and into the 2000s where as, uh, as the communities kind of started to die off a little bit. Um, I know, f- you know, from, from my area of the world, um, we had a couple of Ford plants and a steel mill. And uh, between those, these, those three locations, you employed so many people. Right. And um, once that all started to die off, you just kind of watched some of those 
marketplaces really shrivel up so that 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 ancillary spending on on uh, the voiceovers and the commercials and those types of things kind of goes probably to the kings of of those marketplaces right, right? that that's true and, and a lot of it was out of chicago a lot of the midwest yeah you know, that's it about, yeah uh, very challenging so but uh new york and la of course uh so but uh, it was good. It was, uh, you know, you had the person that came in that uh, did uh, weddings for friends. He DJed, and mm-hmm. he wore, needed some backing. He had some backing tracks, and he was doing a special song or something like that. And so you just you just went with it, and uh, I, it worked out pretty well. But bringing me to trucking was uh, about 2017 is when I came in with Garner. Uh, so just back up about a year is when I actually went to trucking school, and I think it was just Where'd you looking. Go? I, I went to Hamrick. Okay, so did I. I didn't realize Okay. That. We both graduated from right. Okay. And uh, some really good good folks over there and, and got through got through their program, and, uh, of course, it just gets you through this to the CDL. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really smart enough to be dangerous and, right. <laughs> and able to get that CDL, and it's up to the companies then to, right. to get you the rest of the way. I think we accept that as the nature of the beast. So what always amazes me about this, and it doesn't matter how many people I talk to within the trucking industry, that we come from all these different walks, all these different lifestyles, all these different choices that we've made. Most uh, most truck drivers aren't made organically, right? Right. We're not um, aspiring to hurry up out of high school or out of college and, and hop into the truck, which frankly to me is a mistake. And if I would have had some do-overs, it's one I would have changed. I would have come straight into the into the trucking marketplace knowing what I know now, right? Right. So uh, it's interesting to me this career in, in banking and investment, um, you know, the, the, the diving into that, that world of business and understanding how to create and develop um, and, and moving into, into music, which is certainly a passion for me and, and coming up with kind of your own rhythm and your own routine for how you're going to make money. And then to come to, to trucking as you know, kind of a, a, a stable environment, right. um, something that you could count on each and every day because we have product uh, that needs to get to the storefront so that, <laughs> so that people can manufacture, people can buy, and people can do the things they like to do. And that's really what brought me to trucking was the need for city income, dependable. Yeah. You yeah. Know, uh, gig income is wonderful. I work for a wonderful band leader and uh, several, but, but one in particular for, for a number of years mm-hmm. and who had ends and had wonderful gigs, played just about every major venue you could think of where they could do a wedding reception. Sure. And uh, some, some very, very nice beat in Severance Hall. Uh, the the foyer of Severance Hall for, for uh, so, but a very, very uh, great opportunity in trucking because I was looking for that steady paycheck, that uh, need, the, and, and the gypsy in me liked the fact that. A little bit of travel, the musicians so the, in you a little that, bit, that's right? Just, right, it's the road the, life. right, exactly. It was the road life, and it was. Uh, which is always a trade-off. You, know? you have to be re- wired correctly for that. Right. For that, tr- you know, for that transition. Right, and you've got to have the family dynamics. You've got to work uh, communication right. and agreements. That, there hasn't that been one person that sat across me from me that hasn't said that same exact thing. Yes. If you don't have that support system at home, it will be a problem. It will be a problem. Way. It'll be a challenge. Yep. And, uh, you really have to understand what those needs are going to be on the road. What the what the demand is. Right. You know that comes along with the job. What do you wish, you know, you've got three years in, 
for years plus at this point. What do you wish that you knew when you started that you know now as far as trucking is concerned? What's one item that you wish you would have known? That's a great question. I, I'm trying to think of the things because I thought I pretty well did my homework, you know, with regard to what to expect and what to, to know. I think that just just understanding what you've got to compress, you've got to compress time intervals. I think you've got to get really good at that. Yep. So you've got to figure out what do I need to do right now? What do I, can I just push off a little bit to come back to it. So prioritizing is Hopefully not in the sake of safety. (laughs) Right. You want to do anything This is more of the, the, just getting that bill of lading over to to the folks here so they can bill for that and and, and doing that. I try to stay on top of that, do it. But sometimes you've got to move. You know, you've got to get out of the way. way. There's not a lot of room there. So you just then need to understand, well, I'm going to take a break down the road here. I can do that and just figure out when you can do. The other thing probably is just being aware of the disparity in speeds. Um, when you had, I just came off a load where I was doing 39 miles an hour up uh, Pocono Mountains, you know, upside of a mountain here with mm-hmm. 44,100 on. And uh, of course, I'm thinking, well, these people passing me, they don't have any loads, do they? <laughs> Must exactly be not. Right. And but I'm just, you just look at that speed differential, and you've just got to be aware of your surroundings. You got to be signaling people, yeah. telling people your intent, and letting them know. You know, if you get those flashers on, let people know what you're doing. Hey, look at me. Yes, look <laughs> at me. Right. It's hard, hard not to see this big thing flashing in front of you. What do you think at this point is easy about trucking? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Not a thing. <laughs> Not a thing. <laughs> I would say probably no touch freight would be the the thing I would say for for Garner for thing. us. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's yes. Fair. That's that's, fair. that's really what makes I come it go. from an environment um, when when I first started with the organization, we uh, we had uh, a lot of large customers just as we do today. Um, with prominent names that everyone would recognize, you know, those types of things. And, and we would get into some places, and um, they, there used to be a world, and there probably still is to some degree, where things had to go on large pallets or small pallets when you got to those facilities. And you'd have, you know, you could have uh, a thousand different SKUs on the back of a trailer that each had to be separated down, watered right. down. And you did that work, and you you know it's you know two three hours. So you're kind of blood, sweat, and tears, and you get it done, and then you got to drive after that. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think things have come a long way in the industry is to understand that the function of the driver needs to be driving the truck, not handling the freight. And, and uh, that's a real advantage. That, uh, I, uh, and that's not to take anything away from that local driver. That you know the, the folks that are delivering are are are. are coca-cola and our and our right. pepsi and our nickels goods and and all those things there's a special skill set for that and that's you know a need but for that over the road driver you know that where you're extending that day you're working a full 14 probably most days you know driving 11 and, and working 14 um the physical side to things can be yes a little too much to deal with yes. when you're out on the road so i i agree with that it's uh, an interesting point i had a conversation with uh Another driver a few weeks back, and I hadn't given much credit since, uh, you know, the, the onset of COVID, and, and we haven't done a whole lot of these um, these these uh, broadcasts during 
the times of COVID. So a lot of what I had started with was all previous to this. Right. One of the things that I had not considered is that the driver's job actually might have gotten a little bit easier, um, and as this driver explained to me, through um, the fact that when you're going to some of these places now, they don't want to see the driver. <laughs> they're putting the bills in the back of the trailer. They're making things much easier That's in their true. processes. So, you know, you always try to look for those positives and, you know, kind of a negative situation. Like right. The one and that's a, that, is a, that is a very notable positive. Yeah. Is that it, 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 they it's are expediting your time. It, it really bit. is. It really is. Now, you still have the grocery list. Sure. You still have the place you go. And you just know, if you're, hey, this is a grocery-related uh, situation here they're going to have to do counts back yep, there they've got yeah they got things and, then prop, prop policies it's, that it's they a have give and take so yep. you have to understand that and uh, but for the most part i think that's that's the key well you talked a little bit about prioritizing and i always find that interesting as far as how people's minds work and what they're going to decide to do in terms of here's a here's b here's c i want you to pretend for a moment you wake up tomorrow pretend you're a dispatcher for a minute and say you just you receive two thousand emails you got to read 300 of them or prioritize 300 of them. What do you do? What's what's that process? How do you? I call my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Let her tell me what yes, to do. Yes, <laughs> because she, she has that very situation. Uh, she uh, she takes them. Uh, she she knocks out the ones that she can she can get to. A lot of times there's redundancy in that because mm-hmm. you've got multiple team players. Teams come together, solve problems, sure. go 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 their separate ways, and yep. so. She can kind of just from knowing how this one relates to that and that, and I've already dealt with that. So boom, 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 boom. So helps, that's helps the process. It, it does. It's so call for help is call, your message call for here. Call, <laughs> call for help. There's, Reach out. Here's our <laughs> lessons in life with Brian today. <laughs> just call someone for help, please. <laughs> um, what passion of yours is 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 um, something that you hold dear, uh, but you rarely share with others? I'm old school when it comes to uh, the history of the country. Okay. I hold that very dear. Okay. Um, like it's I said, a tough, I, tough time to be in. It's it's a tough time to be be there. Yeah. You know, my dad opened two high schools as principal. He worked his way up from coach, teacher, taught uh, back in the day in the Southern Virginia when they first started out. Got married. He and my mom, and they were dedicated to education. That's where they wanted to be. Public education in particular. Okay. And they were in the, I have to set this up, but they were down in the Southern Virginia in the early 50s. Okay. My dad coached, actually ended up uh, coaching a state championship football team down there and uh, had gotten the attention of Maslin, of all places. Really? Uh, yeah, it's the Pearl Crescent of football. Hmm. And uh, he, they actually wanted to schedule him for an interview and as part of you know the coaching situation there. And uh, while Dad thought that was very just uh, that's that's wonderful and that's sure. that's really quite an honor quite an honor exactly um, they he was looking to uh, the education for all and this is about the time Brown versus Board of Education came down okay and the school district that they were in uh, were planning to take the schools private dad believed in public education for everyone such that you know the name public so they moved to northern virginia and this is before i came along uh and then i uh, so i that history uh, being you talk about maslin being fertile crescent for football mm-hmm. you know living in northern virginia growing up going to mount vernon going to the smithsonian going to oh, yeah. jefferson's all, all there yep. kenmore you know, james madison's 
and you just go through it and and you know it's a state of presence yeah so i was steeped in that when we my mom loved williamsburg so you know we would i guess i really never gave that very much credence but that's exactly how you probably would perceive things just from an historical standpoint based on the the area of the country that you're from our 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 family was uh, tobacco tobacco farmers back in the early you know when they settled the area so jamestown in that area you know goes back my mom's side goes to the bank mayflower so uh and i mean in another broadcast we can talk about uh, my my ties back to the the king of of france but <laughs> That's for, for a different time, setting, right? yes. For a different <laughs> setting. What uh, what would you say? And you know, we've talked a lot about um, you know, kind of the, the the joints in your life. You know, the the different pivot points and the joints in your life. What would you say a, a true turning point out of all of that? You know, your 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 time on the planet. What, what was the largest turning point for you? And and how did that shape you or affect you? I think probably the, the bombing in Oklahoma City, that that was probably a turning point because it turned my career. And then coming back, you know, to one final time to the area of uh, qualified retirement plan administration and doing mm-hmm. that. You know, it was like one last shot. And then then things occurred there. So that from a standpoint of, of that, that was a pivot point for the, for the whole country and of course right. 9-11 happened I had just accepted the job to bring me to take me to Cleveland I hadn't yet moved to Cleveland yet when 9-11 occurred I okay. was still back in in the Maryland area so <clears throat> that uh, just just these major shifts in uh, culture that you know and, and things that happened you know all of the the uh, is for, for me personally it's probably been uh, it's been the the toughest thing has probably been the just the always thought well I'll just go into this career and I'll retire from this career sure and for most we don't of my really genera- live in that world we don't live in that world our generation doesn't live in that world no so coming to truck driving has been phenomenal for me because it's uh, it's allowed me the opportunity to get on the open road to make a difference in the economy, to actually make a difference every day with knowing that I, I can do, deliver goods, do it well, do it, you know, on time, hopefully, cons- you know, consistently on the things I can control right. uh, to control that. So there is a, gr- d- a great deal. Yes, you have your time frames in that, but you have a great deal of flexibility how you structure your day. and at sure. the end of the sure. That's the control portion and that's, of things. That's a, a, actually a wonderful thing about truck driving is the ability to – to do that and to manage how you're going to run through that day and the yeah. planning that's yeah. involved in that. I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's sport. It's, it's right? actually yes, it is. It's a sport. I and I've always felt that way. Yes. I, I completely agree with that. What are you most curious about right now? I'm curious how this this podcast will come out. <laughs> <laughs> so it's immediate. It's immediate. We're, we're very it's focused. Well, you know no. what's funny about that particular statement is that. Uh, you know, as as we're having this conversation and, and just kind of reflecting on some of the um, really the pivot points uh, within the country, within the economy, um, you know, within the politics of the country, yes. how interesting that that journey's been for you specifically. And it, as I I try to take a look at things, um, I'm a 
I've spent a lot of years, maybe the past 15 years or so, really understanding that there's life beyond the forest. Yes. You know, so I can see past the tree line. Yes. But um, you don't really give enough credence, I think, sometimes to those events and the things that shape you as an individual along the way. And I don't think for me it was until um, uh, September 11th that, you know, that's kind of one of those dates in history. It just stays with you. Like you said, you know exactly where you were. You know everything that happened. And you can pretty much recite the day as it happened because of that level of uncertainty that's come along. I think at this point in time in 2020 um, with the, you know, the onslaught of, of sickness and illness with COVID-19 and, and how many things have had to change and how we've had to adjust will be another time if even a decade, two decades from now, once we're all past this and it's all, yes. it's all forgotten about that we'll still, we'll still have those memories of how this time frame shaped our lives, shaped our business, shaped our families, our relationships and all those types of things. Yes. So, you know, when you, when you answer a question about what you're most curious about now to be able to have the forest right here in front of you, sometimes it, 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 that brings up a good point. You still got to stay in the moment, right? Right. And, and that's the thing. There are so many big, I mean, this election is huge. This is the biggest election of my lifetime. Probably. Uh, as far as uh, the direction of the country. Sure. And uh, what I would take from that is that uh, one has to be, my mom said, always be true to your best self. And, you know, I struggled with that in a career. Mm -hmm. You know, I tried to... First, you have to know and understand what that means. Right. And that's, that was... My mom was the great philosopher. She was she was really... Truly, that was her calling. Is, uh, is, uh, and you do have to understand where your place in the world is mm -hmm. and how, uh, how you uh, can be the change that you want to see in the world, mm -hmm. as, as uh, Gandhi said. And I think that's one of the best ways to live is to be take personal accountability and responsibility every day for who you are and what you believe and act out that belief in uh, such a way that you be a change agent. Which is hard to do. It is hard to do. Because sometimes it is against the grain. Sometimes I, it's a little different than what... And the populace says yes, it should be. And, and Tim, I hope we don't lose our oral oral history because oral traditions and oral history, you know, think about how up to this moment in time we have been able to pass down information through families, sure. through oral traditions, through stories. Sure. I can remember my grandmother telling stories and dad even telling stories of the farm and that. Yeah, and I'm we've moved you. so far away from that now. Now as we archive that into a digital world, what my concern is that we don't become Orwellian, and uh, that whoever controls the you know controls the mind, yeah. uh, we always control our mind, and I think that's the key to that we have to remember is control your thoughts, your mind, and uh, well, and then guard there, there's the thought there there's the there's the um, the statement I think that, that kind of brings that all together, and while one may argue about you know where where the, the our own family histories and traditions are that will those get carried on will we be able to carry those stories or will they get washed away i also think that uh this these are very challenging times for those but for all of us yes where people are questioning things they're questioning yes. you know our, our our country's history they're questioning our behaviors they're questioning all of these things which necessarily isn't bad no 
And I, I think is uh, it, it goes to your point about being engaged and that your mind is still is still working, and we're right. not you know we're not getting into a, a situation where we're just do as you're told, and you know I, I so I think there are some very healthy things that can actually come out of all. I of think this. you're it's, right. I think it's just a, it's a question of what direction things go, and, right. and, and and where we head as a nation. Because at the end of the day, we're all American. Yes. Right. That's right. What um, what would you say is a common myth? You know, kind of coming back to trucking a little bit, uh, a common myth in trucking that uh, you would say is untrue or that you could debunk. I think one of the misconceptions about trucking is that uh, truck drivers are irresponsible, not uh, kind of pig pen ish, mm-hmm. you know, just don't take care of it. And you do see that out there. It is out there. It's the ugly side of trucking. Well, yeah, you, d- you don't remember the the 150 truck drivers that were in the slow lane that you passed on your way right. up the interstate, you remember the one numbskull that got out and cut you off. Right, right. right? And, it, and it's and it's like, you know, pick up the wrapper, pick up the trash, put it in, you know, just take take the action. Right. Just be responsible. And I think if we did that more, if more of us did that, we wouldn't be faced with a situation where public restrooms are not available to truck drivers because... You know, and that's I know we push back at Garner big time on that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But I, to your to your point, um, you know, the folks that are employed here, um, by and large, are individuals that are are good, honest human beings that just want to get out and make a living. They're, you know, we, we pride ourselves on clean equipment, clean drivers, clean behaviors, and um, I think there's many companies out there that are the same way. It's not. Um, it's not the trucking of the 70s. It's not the trucking of the 80s anymore. Correct. Yes. Um, so I, I think those individuals that are kind of on the negative side of that have gone by the wayside to some degree, partially because we make good decisions as far as legislation and how we're yes. going to handle things and who we're going to put behind the wheel of the truck. I think ownership has taken um, a tremendous amount of um, responsibility for who's going to pilot that, right. those vehicles. Right. And that's that's the most important thing and, and 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 the better we get the safer we get the smarter we get the more educated we get the better class of driver that we have on that's our right and a lot of it comes to the trainers too you know the people oh that, you drive like you're trained yes, right that's that's true yeah and true. i know still to this day and I've, i think i've said this before on the program that you know i, I the way my trainer dr- taught me to drive and those those positive reinforcement pieces to this day i still operate with his voice in my head yes as a as, as a true matter I, of fact I, I, that's the way it is for for me as well and uh, i just don't carry uh the, all the chicken that i've fried up with that my trainer is uh, <laughs> <laughs> well you gotta learn a yeah, few good things i know too, i mean right? uh, yes chef chef larry is uh, just uh, he's <laughs> yeah, exceptional well, he is exceptional <laughs> in that regard you're correct you're correct you gotta try the meatloaf i'm yes. just i'm just, <laughs> just saying, saying you gotta you gotta try the meatloaf Brian, I want to ask you kind of an odd question. Um, let's say today we finish up this this uh, this podcast. You walk out the door, step outside of the office, and find that you've got a winning lottery ticket worth ten million dollars. At that point, what do you do? I try to find ten million people and give a dollar, and then call myself Miss America. <laughs> no, I, I would, uh, seriously. World I, peace? Is that what yes, you said? Yes, world peace. That's yeah. what we need. Um, I would, uh, well, 
coming from, we did have business development people in California, and I think Texas too, that actually would go for the bank, would go over to uh, find out where the, the people that won the lottery, the California lottery, okay. and they actually called on them because they had the, we had the resources to help those individuals, mm-hmm. tax accountants, tax attorneys, sure. you know, the structure of trusts, the way set, you know, so you, know, you don't ha- need to hire anyone so because you already know. I, 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 may, may, I don't know if those people are still so old. They may not still be around, Tim. It may be their, their grand, grandchildren that would be helping me. Um, but, no, I would I would think that I would want to take care of, of friends and family, especially, you know, you know you're going to start charity begins at home, as they say. Yeah, absolutely. And so you would just try to uh, do the best that you could to uh, uh, help help your, your family members and um, I, I don't see any extravagant I've never been one to you know extravagantly spend or all that yeah I have seen a number of people go through it you know and if, unfortunately that's that's it's part of the more deal. the rule than the exception yeah so I would hope I would do something better with that do something you don't want to buy a block and build everybody a house or anything <laughs> like that <right? laughs> no no what, what would you say you're not very good at uh that well, I knew growing up math was not my specialty. My my dad you ended gave up me, in banking. Yes, I ended up in banking. My dad, I can still see him as he was struggling. We were both struggling with the new math, and here would come the pencil on top of the head. And now it's you know it's <laughs> like he was having to learn how it was being taught. You know, mm-hmm. ten years hence or fifteen years. I've I've had that very same experience though. I you know they they've kind of change the rules again you know right. the numbers are the numbers those don't change but how you process that information exactly i got by the time i got down to me my youngest um and i had to sit down and explain uh, uh multiplication yes <laughs> i took one look at these boxes my kids draw it and i'm thinking <laughs> what are you doing what in the world is this mechanical reasoning is something i struggled with as well really? i never did very well with that so i'm i'm really at uh I'm at the beck and call, or, uh, or I should say, I'm I'm in need of helping, uh, or help with mechanical items, and I want to get better at that. Give I me an think. example of that. What, well, what, what, how how would you define that? Well, I have a I have a son-in-law that is a diesel mechanic. Okay. And he is a fabricator, and okay. he can make. I mean, he's just tremendous, and he's I think largely he's self-taught, but he's he's had some mentors, but. By and large, he's just like fish to water. That's what he's good at and does. And okay. It's hard work, but he loves hard work, yeah. and uh, he loves what he does. Um, but it, just just being in that uh, that realm and, and just doing that, you know, just would uh, it, it's actually fascinating to me. I actually getting more interested in mechanical things the older I, you know I what, get. You know what's funny? I um. Uh, of course, in this day and age, it's easy to binge watch just about anything you could possibly right. think of. Um, there's a show on Netflix right now called The Repair Shop, and it's an English show. Uh, and it's about a re- repair shop that prides itself on offering several different um, services. So uh, for one specialist, it might be their ability to be able to do things with um, uh, redoing ceramics, you know, fixing right fixing the breaks and the cracks and then the painting and, and making it look like it's brand new again. Right. Uh, in that same facility, you have the, the, the watch, the clock fixer, you know, again, you know, special skills like the tuning of a piano. They're so, so limited in, in terms of the people that can actually handle this type of work. 
um, the, the, the woodworker, the, the metal worker, and all, all these different people, you know, people that can take care of uh, stuffed animals that are 150 years old and, and, and bring them back to life, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it kind of goes into that, that mechanical reasoning. It's amazing to me for someone to be able to take a look at an item that's, you know, 150 years old, create something today to help fix, repair, yes. you know, repair that, 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 that this broken widget or whatever it might be and, and get that thing working and operational again. They had uh, just had uh, just watched an episode with the uh, National uh, Register, which were made down in Dayton, Ohio. Yes. And again, for it to be an English show NCAA. and have a National Register, I just thought that was kind of cool in the first place. Uh, and the gentleman they had working on it was their, their clock fixer. And this clock fixer took a look at the backside of this thing, and you could instantly see there was apprehension about him getting in there and trying to fix all of these moving parts because he had never done it before, had never seen it before, but somehow rises to the challenge and takes on the task. And uh, I know for someone like myself, and I've actually made this very statement to our, to our friends at the shop here, that my ability to, to be able to handle stress levels, to solve large problems, to um, deal with the, the, the stresses of people and all those types of things is very good. I have a very good skill set for that. What I have a terrible skill set for is putting a wrench in my hand <laughs> and trying to calmly get something done without throwing, breaking knuckles, screaming, using expletives, and all the things that come along with it. So, you know, in that in that vein, I can really respect where you're coming from with yes. that. Yes, you really do have an appreciation. One has an appreciation for, for folks that, that can do those yep. things. So. Uh, we're intriguing. It's intriguing. Um, I will not be, I'm sure, <laughs> going into the mechanical realm uh, as, a, right? as a vocation yeah, me anytime. Neither. Me neither. <laughs> no, I, I am so appreciative for our mechanics. Yeah, they are I, awesome. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Again, another skill set you're just as in demand as, as, as a, a professional driver is. is that, you know, it's another skill set that's I'm just glad so to valuable. see people like Mike Rowe that have the foundation, that he has his foundation that helps. Really get uh, get people the resources and opportunities for scholarship to get uh, vocational yes. education. Yes, it's, absolutely. It's, it's very very much needed in the country. We need to be making things again. I agree. I agree. I think that's very well said, Brian. Very well said, Brian. I want to ask you in 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 your world. We talk a lot about um, the dynamics through your life. We've talked about your family, your 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 mother and your father and their influences, but. It, in, in your lifetime, who are your personal heroes, and, and, and why do you hold them in the regard that you do? I think the, the key is the mother and the father, my mom and my mom and dad. It's where it all begins. Yes, it really is where it all begins. We were the big three. My mom and dad tried to have uh, a larger family okay. and for 10 years, uh, weren't able to, and mom had a lot of miscarriages, and I came along 10 years into their marriage. So I was kind of like, mom always said it was, we were the big three. Okay. So it, it always came from a small man, uh, small family in number, but big heart. And, and we always opened our, their, their home. They opened it up there in, in Northern Virginia mm-hmm. to friends, family would come visit. They want to see DC, you know, our home was always open to them to come stay, you know, we had food. We had, you know, just, and and that they were at consummate entertainers. Just, then. just yes. I mean, it was just like, and and with faculty wives, and Dad had, you know, things with with work. They had their their associations, and 
I was always the wind up Brian, and he can entertain. He'll entertain you sometimes. <laughs> so maybe that was a little bit where that's that the came musicianship. From. Yes, that's, that's where that's, that's comes that's from. Part, that that's entertainer. Part of, part of what came from. But but getting back to heroes, my mom was a spiritual. She really was a spiritual leader. Uh, and my father was a pragmatic. He was very common sense. You know, mm-hmm. uh, growing up on a farm. In Two West good balance. Really good balances. Very, very good balance. Uh, that's one of the things that. I don't know what what went wrong, Tim, but <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but, the, but those balances are. I'm I'm right there with you when it when it comes to how you've grown up. It's obviously it's the most impactful impactful part of who you become, yes. and and to be able to have those dynamics. My dad was really kind of the workhorse man, a few words. Right. Um, my mom, on the other hand, was maybe a little closer to the philosopher, the one that um, you know would, would challenge your thought processes right. and ask the questions and sometimes the difficult questions, but also the one that you could go to and really have that heart-to-heart conversation. And, and you need those people in your life. You need both of those examples in your life. So. And I, th- I would ask a third. That's my wife. Uh, she is. Uh, she was always in healthcare. Okay. Uh, she. She's an empath. Okay. Mm-hmm. She is. Uh, she has an ability, a natural ability, and she was in the right. She chose well when she chose to go into healthcare. Healthcare, she really did. Yeah. Um, she's in a place now where the stresses are very, very, and it's the way that I see her managing the level of tremendous amount of stress that's involved with the largest, one of the largest healthcare organizations in the country, uh, marshaling through this pandemic. Yeah. With everything else that she had on board with that, and to see her still be uh, the mother, you know, she'll right. always be the mom, right, right to mm-hmm. her kids. First of all, just waking up every day. Just waking right? up every day and facing that yep. and doing the things. She just does it. She does it with a smile on her face. She, she approaches the day, and I, I, I just I admire that, and I admire her ability to see people the best in people my yeah. mom had a similar uh, ability yeah, and be able I, to find that find I, the I, good find the good in people and dad did too as that's why people that's why former students would come up to him in the mall i can and would say mr wildman it might take him a minute but he would say yeah tommy good to see you they he always, always remembered, remembered. That's amazing. Always I can't find kids. my way to work every day. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he said he didn't want to. He said he didn't want to uh, be a principal anymore when he didn't know the kids. When he only know, knew the ones that got in trouble. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. Then it was time to move on. But, um, but yes, I I, I had a lot of admiration for those those three heroes. Those those heroes. fundamental things are are I think the most important. You're talking about the shaping years, and and then of course in your adult life, you know, to have a spouse that. Um, you can you respect and, and love and appreciate for for those skills that either you do have or don't have. Right. I very much am in the same boat there. There is a, a certain amount of um, uh, uh, understanding that that my wife has on a on a very uh, deep level with people and can identify things very quickly. And I have a high appreciation for that because I don't possess it. Right. I don't possess it. You really just got to go ahead and hit me between the eyes, and then I'll know what you're saying or understand where that's, you're coming from. You know, sometimes. So that emotional intelligence is what they call that. Yes. And I just, it's one of those things I have to work at each and every day. And we do, we work yep. at it. Absolutely. Brian, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk with me today. 
appreciate uh, the uh, listening audience as well on another edition of Garner Truckings Beyond the Cab.